And and the, the possessions, he's not turning the ball over. I've been noticing this with him, and it's really trickled down to some of the bigs as well, where they try to bulldoze their way into the paint. And instead of going straight up, they're taking off-angle layups and trying to draw a foul. They're not going to be as lenient with those calls in a final setting. And they got to figure out other ways to score and better way to move the ball uh, around the perimeter, guys. There's too many times where guys who are wide open from three aren't getting the looks because they're trying to do too much, trying to get too fancy in isolation. And I, I don't know if that's something you guys have noticed too, but it seems like the Celtics, whenever they claw their way back in or they have a lead, they're just trying to, they're trying to extend it or they're trying to do too much. And it results in the Warriors being able to claw their way back into things and play their tempo of basketball. Yeah. Um, Brett, I want to highlight one thing you said, one massive thing you said, turnovers. Celtics, you said it, Celtics cannot get out of their own way, basically, with uh, these turnovers. And, Brett, I don't know if you heard this stat last night, but I'll repeat it real quick. When the Celtics commit 16 or more turnovers in a game so far this postseason, they're 1-6. and six. When they commit 15 or fewer, they're 13-2. and two. And if that just tells you all you need to know about turnovers, I don't know what else to say because they are actually – this was from a couple of days ago. So now with 16 or more turnovers, they're one in seven in the playoffs. Cause um, you know, you have to update the stats, but the point is the Celtics need to be able to take care of the ball better. They had 18 turnovers. As you said, Brett, Jason Tatum, four turnovers, Marcus smart. Okay. One of the biggest things about the Boston Celtics is that they don't have a traditional point guard as in a Kyle Lowry or a Steph Curry or a Chris Paul. And that's hurting them because their quote unquote point guard, Marcus smart, had two assists and four turnovers. I don't think that's what you want from your starting point guard. They don't really have that guy to really take a load off the offense. It's really kind of just Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown kind of doing their own thing. And I think what we're seeing now is that they're kind of not ready for that um, moment of handling the ball, if you know what I mean. So I think for the Celtics, they really just need to focus on these turnovers because it's really just been the story – of the entire of the entire series, really. If they turn the ball over, they give the Warriors a chance to go out and win a game. If they do turn the ball, if they don't turn the ball over, they give themselves a very good chance to win the game. So, um, and I guess real quick before I hand it back to you, Brett, um, you know, the Celtics got to be able to. Um, sorry, I lost my train of thought right there. But um, you know, overall, the Celtics—they're one game away. They need to find a way to get back to Boston and get a win because, you know, their season's on the line now. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I mean, it's like you were talking about with positionless basketball. I mean, I'm looking at the box score here now, and they had 18 total turnovers, but 13 of them are from their primary ball handlers, right? So right. Jason Tatum takes the ball from the top of the key a lot. He had four. Jalen Brown, he's a guy who often gets isolation looks, you know, whether, you know, whether he's on the elbows off an off-ball screen or just trying to will his way into a mid-range jumper. He had four of his – he had five of his own, excuse me. And then Marcus Smart, like you were saying, had four turnovers and only two assists. You can't have that for so your the point. Pro- just can't happen. No, absolutely not. And they're being they're being sloppy with the ball. And and if you look over at the Warriors' side of things, I mean, look, like Curry didn't make a three, went 0 of 9. Andrew Wiggins, fantastic game, 26 points, 13 boards, but he was 0 of 6 from behind the arc as well. Clay Thompson was the only guy – Besides, besides Jordan Poole's uh, three for six, that 
made a little bit under 50% of their, his threes. The I rest mean, of the team was struggling. I mean, Draymond Green so, had a career game with eight points, so you know that was huge. Oh, he, he's the triple single king. He, <laughs> he's he's going to get his stats. Eight points, but, eight rebounds, six assists for Draymond. <laughs> Unbelievable. Right, but he's I mean, he's but, moving but up. But look, if you're the Celtics, if you're the Celtics, right, like the, so many points off turnovers. And, and this Warriors team, when – when they're allowed to thrive in transition and to get the ball moving, they're the best at the NBA in those fast break opportunities. And you, you can't let them play to their pace. That's that's unfortunately the hole they put themselves in. It's like you said, Jack, they can't get out of their own way. And that's something that that I've noticed throughout the series. That's what the people of uh that's what the people of Boston were uh, clamoring about. Every turnover is met with a loud ah, oh, and, and you know, just questions as to why, you know, why are they running? Why are they running straight into guys? Why, are, you know, why are we holding the ball too long? And they're right. I mean, Boston just, you know, they need to figure out a way to move the ball around more, play to their strengths. They're not doing that right now. They're forcing I, things, and it's also, showing. I would also say. The Celtics, I mean, you talked about it uh, a little bit before, when they get up in games, like you saw at the beginning of the third quarter, contrary to what has happened basically the entire series where the Warriors just nuked the Celtics in the third quarter. And in game two's case, you know, that was all she wrote. But this case, um, you know, the Celtics were able to make a big comeback. I mean, they were able to take the lead in the third quarter. They outscored the Warriors 35-24 to in the third quarter. But when the Celtics get ahead like that, they kind of tend to start playing isolation ball. It's Jason Tatum one-on-one. It's Jalen Brown one-on-one. Heck, Marcus Smart's putting up three-pointers, which, you know, you have to be to keep the defense honest, but Marcus Smart shouldn't be shooting a lot of threes. I mean, he had three for he was three for six last night, but, you know, you know what I mean, Brett. I don't think, you know, Marcus Smart should be shooting a lot of threes. I think they need to get out of this iso ball sort of movement when they get into these you know, leads because that leads to turnovers and that leads to Warriors three pointers on the other side and also you know layups dunks all this sort of and even if you watch even if you watch the game Brett like and you it's you know it's easy to make a blatant blanket statement and say oh Celtics eighteen turnovers like you gotta you gotta be able to correct that if you watch these turnovers like they're bad like Jason Tatum had a couple of them where he kind of just like floated a pass and you know. Draymond Green was able to get into the passing lane or Jason Tatum lost the ball and Draymond Green, you know, pickpocketed him and was able to go down the other way or Jalen Brown's over dribbling and they are able to, you know, turn the ball over. So, you know, a lot of these are just like, you know, trying to do too much. And Brett, you, you mentioned that before, just trying to do too much and, you know, they're going to have to figure it out because I think they're more than capable of making this seven, making this go to a seventh game. But if they decide that we're going to turn the ball over 18 times, you know the Warriors are going to be crowned champions on the Celtics floor on Thursday night, which I'm sure um, your friends out in Boston are not very enthused of. No, no, absolutely not. They're they're furious. And and one other thing that I noticed too, like. You know, I, I feel like I'm looking at Jason Tatum's shooting splits, and I feel like it's a little bit deceiving. I mean, he, sh- he shot well, shot 10 of 20, shot 5 of 9 from behind the three-point line. But those three-point misses, were, most of the time, were him setting a screen, the Warriors sending a double, him having to get creative with the ball in isolation, and, and he would take one, two dribbles back, and then he'd throw up, he'd throw up a prayer. And all, all of those misses were air balls. I saw at least three misses 
you know, I, I don't know. If, I think one of them bounced off the rim, but three of those were air balls. And it, it, it allowed the Warriors to regroup and to get back in, get back in position. Jalen Brown too. I mean, he, he shoots well. I mean, not this game, five of eighteen, but he the, the shot selection is very questionable, and, and Tatum's been making tough buckets all you know the, the entire playoffs. But as a team, you gotta you, you gotta thread the needle. You gotta pass up what what are potentially good looks for your superstar and find an even better shot. That's something that Steve Kerr's motion offense just predicates itself on in half court situations. And it's a reason why they're able to utilize the entirety of the shot clock to their advantage. Well, take a look at and, – Sorry, Brett. Do you have something to continue on? No, no, no. no. That, that, that's about it. All, all I was going to say was it's crazy. I mean, when you look at the two teams, they're just contrasting in style. It, it's almost like you said, you know, the Celtics are relying too much on isolation-heavy looks for Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. When there's other guys on the floor that can make an impact, you just got to make them – even though the Warriors are saying, hey, we're going to make them beat us – you got guys like Peyton Pritchard, like Robert Williams, Al Horford, if you get them in the right spot, that can make you pay. Derek White off the bench. You, you just got to utilize them. Like Derek White getting one point, too, that, that, that's not going to cut it. Ten points off the so. bench for the Celtics. And I'm not even counting Lou Cornette's three with 50 seconds left. So seven points off the bench from the Celtics. You know, you, you can't have that. Like, you need to be able to – you know, get more bench scoring. <laughs> I mean, there's no other way around it. Like a lot of these championship teams, yes, they win because of their stars. I mean, Toronto won because Kawhi's great, right? But excuse me, the Lakers won because LeBron and AD are great. But they also won because they're so deep and they were able to, you know, rely on a lot of players to give them scoring, give them defense, give them quality minutes. I mean think about like the Fred Van Vliet's of the world or the Alice Caruso's of the world, the Danny Green's of the world. You know what I mean? Like you have to be able to rely on these guys. And the Celtics, one thing about this team is that they're, when they're on, they're absolutely on. They're able to beat any team in the league when they're off, you know, they can lose sort of these games. And that comes with the bench. I mean, Derek white, he has a game like game one where he has 20 plus points and absolutely destroys the Warriors in that fourth quarter. A game where I still, that's a game I still can't even understand what happened in that fourth quarter. And a lot of that is due to Derek White and his ability, you know, to score 20 points in that game. But then there's other games like Derek White today or last night, 21 point or 21 minutes, sorry. 0 for 4 from the field, 0 for 3 from 3, 1 point. So, you know, you have to be able to be more consistent than that. And I think a lot of the things that Celtics fans that I know have been talking about is the consistency with this team. But, um, you know, enough enough about the Celtics. Um, Brett, if you want to shift shift the conversation over to the Warriors, um, you know, they're one game away from the championship in large part because of Andrew Wiggins. I mean, that man has been balling. Twenty six points and thirteen rebounds in game five. I mean, Steph, you know, he was subpar for his standards. He still had sixteen points. Seven for twenty two from the field is not that good. Zero for nine from three is not good. I don't expect Steph Curry to have that bad of a game next next game for shooting wise. Um, Draymond Green, like I said, career game, eight points. Um, and, Dray- and Clay Thompson, of course. I mean, do you have any? Do you have any thoughts on the Warriors? You know, and how they were able to get this game done. In large part, I would say Andrew Wiggins was the driving factor of that game, and then the bench scoring, Gary Payton, 
had 15 points and then the pool party had 14. So, um, you know, any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, it, you know, one thing I've noticed throughout Steph Curry's career is that when his shot's not on, he, his ability to adjust is unparalleled. I mean, he, look, look he, he had eight assists. He's, he's really crafty off the dribble. He's able to draw defenders towards him when he's driving to the paint and, and get the passes, dump them off to the big men. He's able to throw like throw crazy off angle passes to the corner where they're able to swing it a few times for the open three. And I, I mean, the Warriors, the motion offense, like when it's working, is so is just beautiful to watch. I, I've always I've always said, Brett, if you want to learn how to play basketball, or if you are like you know maybe a player that doesn't rely on their athleticism so much, watch Steph Curry, watch Golden State. You will you will learn so much about off ball movement and how they're able to get their shots and how they're able to succeed, even though being a guy like Steph Curry, who's clearly not a LeBron James type of athlete, you'll learn so much. And I think a great example of that is Game 4. Brett, if you remember, there's that there was that play that went viral when Gary Payton had a wide-open three in the corner, and here comes Steph Curry running in the motion offense for the Warriors, always moving without the ball. He comes up behind Gary Payton. Gary Payton dishes it off to Curry, and Curry drills the three. I mean, it, you can learn so much from watching these guys and on a game-to-game basis. And like you said, it's it's beautiful to watch, and I got to respect him for that. Oh, yeah. I, I always told myself if I ever ended up coaching like a team for my kids one day or something, I, and every kid there has a basic understanding or, or watch, watches NBA basketball, I would try to run this offense. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's, it, it's the ideal offense based on selfless, selfless play. And, you know – it really is a pleasure to watch. And just going back to Andrew Wiggins real quick, I mean, they, they scored – he scored 26 rebounds thir- – uh, 26 points, excuse me, 13 rebounds. Something. The game before that, 17 points and 13 rebounds. He, he stepped it up on a, whole, on a whole new level so far, and the ABC broadcast team said it last night. The, the guy with the least playoff experience, not much – with the least finals experience, excuse me, and not much playoff experience at that was the best player on the floor. So, you know, he, 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 if he has another solid game and the Warriors win, I don't see a reason why he isn't in the consideration for finals MVP. He's just been performing lights out, and he's been the spark plug for these guys when I don't, Curry is having an off game. I don't disagree with you, but, like, <laughs> I don't see the voters slash writers having the courage of their conviction to really not give Steph Curry finals MVP this time around. Like it would take Steph Curry to have like, you know, the series like from like his bet from his nightmares, basically to have Andrew Wiggins take this rim. I think game four was enough for him to secure finals MVP. If they're able to win it because you know, he had a big game, but at the same time game four, if they lose game four, they're down three, one in the series. And there's only one team in NBA history that's gone down three, one and one in the finals. So, and I think you know who that is, by the way. But uh, the Cavaliers, yeah. of course. So it's um, it's a daunting task. But Steph Curry was incredible in that game four. I mean, there's nothing else to say about it. He was incredible, and he was able to save the series. And Andrew Wiggins has been great, but Steph Curry, I think I I don't see it. I just don't see them not. I don't I don't see them not taking Steph Curry's word and uh you know giving him Finals MVP. Yeah, you know, and you know, I I, I kind of want to ask you a, 
a question based off of that. So, um, so Magic Johnson has gone on air saying that if even if the Warriors were to lose, it's Steph Curry's Finals MVP to win. Do you agree with that statement, or or, or do you think someone from a losing team the writers wouldn't vote for, even if there are historical implications in Stowe here? Do I agree with it? Um, no, probably wouldn't agree with it. I think there's only one person in NBA history who deserved the NBA Finals MVP in a losing effort. That was LeBron in 2015. And if LeBron in 2015 can't win Finals MVP, no one can. I mean, Steph Curry has been great right. in these finals. He wasn't LeBron in 2015. I mean, let me just pull up these stats real quick from LeBron in the finals that year. He he was inhuman. Like, he was he was from another planet. And I mean that, like, sincerely. Like, I don't know what – LeBron was unbelievable in those finals. And at the end of the day, he was just outgunned by the Warriors. I mean, he his second best player was Matthew Delvadova and Tristan Thompson. Like, those are the guys he was running with. And the Warriors were able to capitalize on that. So, if LeBron in 2015 can't win it, there's just no way in heck that Steph Curry can win this finals MVP. Do you have, do you oh, have absolutely. a differing opinion? And um, No, 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 no. I, I completely agree with you, and I'm looking at it right now. He was the first player in NBA Finals history to lead both, team, both teams in points, assists, and rebounds for the entire series. On averages of 35.8 points, 13.3 rebounds, and 8.8 assists. And they gave it even though he just shot 39%. They gave it to the guy that quote unquote shut him down. Like, right. Andre Godala, which, which he didn't. Godala was good. Like, I'm not here, I'm not here to say that like Andre Godala wasn't impactful in that series because he absolutely was. I mean, there's a reason why the death lineup became the death lineup because Steve Kerr was able to find out Andre Godala. Hey, Andre Godala is actually a really good addition to this small ball lineup with Steph Clay and Draymond and all those guys. So, you know, I'm not here to say that he wasn't impactful, but like at the same time, I think that was Steph Curry's MVP, Finals MVP, and it was a shame that he didn't win it. Um, but you know, fast forward to 2022, I think Steph Curry is clearly, you know staked his claim into the finals MVP because he's had that massive game. He did it in a really big situation on the road in the finals. Um, you know, it would take an Andrew Wiggins, like 60 ball. I think to, I know I mean that sincerely. Like it would, I think it takes an Andrew Wiggins, like masterpiece game. Unlike what we've ever seen from Andrew Wiggins before, because, you know, I just don't see writers going, Hey, I'm going to pick Andrew Wiggins over Steph Curry. And we're gonna screw, not screw, but we're going, we're gonna vote out Steph Curry of a Finals MVP again, considering what he's done. You know what I mean? I think Steph Curry gets a little right. bit more leeway in this instance. You know? No, absolutely. And the forty, and the I think it's forty six points, the forty six point game in Game Four, like that. Was that's it forty six? Cement it right there. I thought it was forty three. Sure let me let me let me fact check myself. It's only myself. a three. It's only a three was, point. I, uh, I, I was talking. I was talking with the people of Austin Hall. Let me, uh, let me let me fact check myself real quick. But uh, where is it? Friday. No, it was Friday. Yeah, Friday June night. 10. Great game, by the way. I think we've had some good games oh. in the finals. Um, yeah, it was forty-three. It, ten rebounds, four assists. Yeah, like Steph crazy. was. Steph was. Steph saved the series for the Warriors. If Steph Curry didn't do what he did in that game, I mean, we're sitting here. With the Celtics still having Celtics having a closeout game on their home floor, so um, yeah. And if if, Dray, if Draymond didn't contribute his two points, I don't know where they'd be. Hey, I'll say so. this: Draymond was bad, 
in those first like three and a half quarters of that game. Heck, they even benched him at in the beginning of the fourth quarter, and he's had a rough series overall. But in the fourth quarter, Draymond made some plays, and what I mean, what I mean with that is that he grabbed a couple rebounds. He you know made some assists, and on the rebound part, like you know rebounds obviously aren't sexy, but you have to be able to rebound and have to be able to get these key rebounds down the stretch of these playoff games. And Draymond Green put himself in position to do those things. So I'll give him credit down the stretch. I thought he actually, you know, did some things. And he ended up, of course, with nine rebounds. So um, Draymond deserves his faults. He hasn't been good this series. Sometimes I wonder what he's doing out there. But I think he really did a good job um, down the stretch of game four. Yeah, and, he, and the other thing with Draymond, this is the, this is like one of the two games he hasn't fouled out. He's <laughs> fouled out in three of the five games so far. Yeah, like I said, he hasn't so. it hasn't been pretty. But um, in that instance, I thought he did well. I want to touch real quick on Jordan Poole, though, Brett, because he's sure. he's one of those guys like he'll, he, he gives you like 14, 15 points. In game four, he gave you 14 points. He's just one of those guys you'll know every single point he gives you in the game. It's so entertaining to watch him. Because he's always doing something, he's always doing something flashy, and um, you know, for the large part, credit to Steve Curry, kind of lets him do his thing. I mean, he kind of had this, kind of had this play at the end of the first quarter, I think was it the first quarter, where he was trying to go for a two for one and chucked up a shot he sh- probably shouldn't have, and it airballed everything. But you know, Steve Kerr sticks with him, and you know, paid off with that shot at the end of the. Uh, at the end of the third quarter, which everyone heard about. But, you know, what are your thoughts on Jordan Poole and his role in the series? Oh, Jordan Poole is, the, is like, the most important player off the bench for them. He, right. you know, this year, his evolution from becoming just a spot-up guy into a guy who can primarily handle the ball off the bench and display limitless range off the dribble is really essential to what the Warriors can do for 48 minutes on the floor. Because I, because he, you know, he, well, I think he averaged like he averaged like seventeen, eighteen points throughout the regular season. Should have been in consideration for most improved player. They didn't even have him in there, which I was very surprised about. But he's, you know, his role in this team is clear. I mean, he he's the guy. He's your spark plug off the bench. He's a guy who on most teams is good enough to be in the starting lineup. It's just you know the Warriors are blessed to have Clay, and. You know, when Clay has to take a break, having a guy like Jordan Poole is just such a luxury to have because of his, you know, because of his shooting ability. He, he's really good at driving into the paint, too. And honestly, this year, compared to last, he's become really good at uh, finding open guys and being a better playmaker. Because last year, we didn't really see any playmaking out of him at all. He was mainly he was just a spot-up shooter. He was like the worst player uh, in the league, basically. I think there was a stat that said that he was like literally like the worst player in the league. So um, you, know, you got to give credit. You got to give credit to him to you know molding himself into an actual NBA player. But I guess to wrap up this conversation, Brett, what do you? How you feel in the rest of the series are going to play out? Now, I said at the beginning of the series, Warriors in six. Game one had me absolutely shook, but I stuck. To, I stick to my guns. I'm still at Warriors in six, and it's looking pretty good now. Um, you know, I think, you know, I want to say the Warriors get it done in Boston because that would be my pick at the end of the day, but I really want a game seven. I mean, it'd be the first game seven in six years in the finals. So, um, 
I think the Warriors. I think the Warriors um, will take it at Chase Center on Sunday. I really do think the Celtics will get their act together and win Game Six, and we'll have a Game Seven. But what are your thoughts on the rest of the series? I completely agree with you. Like, I, I think I think the home court advantage is, and just the overall tenacity of their defense is going to be enough to power through. And Boston's going to take it at home, and that's going to go to Game Seven in uh in San Francisco, and the Warriors are going to take the series. I hope that happens because then we're in for a really good ending to the NBA season. Before we go to break, Mo Arnov, who is now joining us in studio, and John Hartnett, who is probably um, not happy that Jordan Poole is brought up in this conversation because of his last name. Um, yeah, what, I'm already. Uh, I'm, <laughs> any th- uh, any thoughts to wrap up this <laughs> NBA conversation? Um, I was, I'm, you know, I'm 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 trying to get into more in the uh, of the NBA. I'm not really a basketball guy, but uh, always love a good you know, finals for any sport. I'm more surprised that Golden State did not, you know, dominate the third quarter as they have in the rest of the postseason. Yeah, that was that was very surprising. I mean, to any basketball fan, because like you said, John, the Warriors are third quarter warriors. I mean, they dominate. Yeah, if quarter. you look at the if you look at the stats from last night, third that third quarter was the only one that the uh the Celtics outscored the Warriors actually. <laughs> And what do we, do we know? Uh, like, yeah, why do we know why? Just how it is. Apparently, Steph goes on Twitter at halftime. <laughs> I mean, like sometimes you get hot. That's really what it comes down to. And the Celtics went on a stretch mm-hmm. in the third quarter where they're getting quality looks and they're knocking them down. I mean, you could get quality looks all game if you want to, but if you're not knocking them down, I mean, they don't. They ends up in empty possessions, and they were knocking them down. I remember Al Horford had a big shot that forced a Warriors timeout, and. You know, they just went through a stretch where they were hidden. And, you know, you never know what's said at halftime, but the Celtics obviously made adjustments. And, you know, they just had they just had the better end of the stick in this yeah. third quarter. Those but, halftime adjustments are key. Yeah. I guess the uh, the it's the same reason. Uh, I guess when a, when a team gets hot, they're due, they're due uh, to lose at home or to uh, win a game on the road. I guess the Warriors were due to just, you know, not dominate in the third quarter. Guess so. I guess you can't dominate every single third quarter. I mean, yeah. it was kind of an kind of an aberration game, also with the Steph Curry effect, with 0 for nine from three. They've never mm. seen that ever, and that's uh, that's not hyperbole. Actually, you've never seen that ever in a playoff game. So, um, you know, you guys have uh, predictions for how this how this finals is going to turn out. See, I'm I'm a little unsure because, as you know, I don't really follow basketball and. I would follow your pick, but you also picked both teams to win tomorrow night in the span of three sentences, so I'm not really sure which what you think <laughs> is even going to happen. Um, to be honest, I, I think Golden State takes it. It's just, you know, they're such a dominant team, I think. I, but You don't you know, think I, it. They're a pretty I, good I team. Could, I could see it going either way, but I, I think Golden State takes this one, and I'm going to say they take it tomorrow night in Boston. Thursday night, but Thursday I'll take night. your word. I'll Excuse take your me. word for it. The NBA Finals is very spaced out. Um, granted, they're flying about three thousand miles cross country, and so. you can track that information on uh, sports, sports Av- aviation. Yeah, baby. sports aviation. Let's see. Let's see if. Uh, let's see if they took off. Let's uh, go on a quick detour before we go to break here. Sports <laughs> plus aviation. Where did, uh, did these guys take off? I bet you the Celtics left already. In, they probably uh, want to be in San Francisco longer. Oh, the well, first one I saw was the lightning going to Denver. Sorry. <laughs> oh, my goodness. A little foreshadowing while, while for the Jack's, next segment. While Jack's looking that up, John, what what are your thoughts on uh, 
a Mr. Jordan Poole. There's, no, there's nothing there, by the way. Um, first of all, I want. I think Golden State takes it in seven. For those who uh, don't recall, John builds pools. So I build pools. That's why we like to. Uh, it was I, uh, a pool party in the bay. If, I'm telling and you. And if you need a, a pool, John's your man. Uh, I'm not your guy, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it might have been a pool party in. Uh, they were in Boston for Game Five, right? Nope. They're in Golden State. Uh, <laughs> it might have been a pool party in San Francisco, but it was not a pool party today at work. But it has slowed down. We'll get there. We'll get there. But uh, yeah, I think Golden. Can we just talk it later? I think Golden State takes it in seven. I really do. I think Boston wins at home, and then the game seven. It's always insane, but I think Golden State takes it in seven. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. I mean, I think Boston with their defense, and I think they'll get it together for one more game. Game six um, should be interesting. Um, Jason Tatum probably leads the way there, and then Game seven comes to Golden State, and I feel like. This is where the Warriors like experience and um, you know they're better shooting and, and hopefully Steph Curry um, and the Splash Brothers have a good game. But I, I don't know. I feel like they're gonna all get hot at the right time, pull away, and the Celtics are just not gonna have enough at that point. But so I think the Warriors will take it in seven too. We shall see. Um, it's gonna be a really good end to the season anyway. Um, Celtics have come back from these three-two deficits once already in the playoffs. They went and came back from 3-2 down against the Bucks. They went on the road and beat the Bucks, um, and then ended up winning. I had to do this again. We'll take a break real quick. Though. And welcome back to the Friday Crew, John Hartnett, Jack Basea, Mo Golubchik, Arnav Sakar. We just wrapped up our NBA Finals segment. We are going right into the Stanley Cup Finals. The Colorado Avalanche are taking on the Lightning in Denver tomorrow night after the Lightning embarrassed the the tired New York Rangers. Oh, okay. Now they're tired. Okay. <laughs> Hold on. Okay. <laughs> One production note, it is not Friday. It is Tuesday. Yeah. What happened? What day is that? You said at Friday again. Oh, I mean I mean tomorrow night, Wednesday. No, 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 no. You said welcome back to the Friday crew. You oh, did the same it's thing Tuesday. last week. It's Tuesday. I'm Tuesday. It's Tuesday. It's at Tuesday. least you got Jack's name right this week. <laughs> yeah, I'll, pl- I'll applaud you for that. But like, And now we're going to roast your Rangers. Okay. Uh, they're, they're tired now? Look, man. Okay, okay. You can't. So let's. First of all, it was a great. It was a good year for the New York. For the, okay. So just to recap, the Rangers lost Game Six in Tampa Bay. Uh, I believe it was three to one to the f- final score. Let me just double check. I want to fact check that. Uh, yes, it was two. John, okay, I- it was two to one. Uh, Igor Shosturkin played his heart out. Oh, okay. okay. Even, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, even though he lost, he didn't deserve the loss, but that's okay. We're doing it like NBA Twitter does. It's like he lost, so he didn't play well enough. He, he, if you don't, if you think Andre Vasilevsky was the better goalie in this series, you got to get your your mind checked. Because Igor Shosturkin, I know, I know, I know, I know. Uh, Igor was, was, uh, you know, got 0-4 for the series, but he he made so many good saves, and the Rangers just kind of just flipping the puck in at Andre's body. And Look, that, oh God. I'll, I'll say this. I I was watching Game 5 down the stretch, very entertaining hockey game, and one thing I saw was that one bounce there, one bounce here can determine an entire series. You're deadlocked at, what was it, two apiece in uh, Game yeah, 5? Yeah, 2-2. It was 2-2. And 
the lightning were able to get a lucky bounce. Uh, you guys were trying to defend it, and it bounced off someone's like hip or something, something like that, mm-hmm. into the goal. I mean, really unlucky break. Um, and then game six, unfortunately, I didn't watch. But you know, it, it's a tough break for the Rangers. I mean, all the Igor slander uh, put aside. Obviously, he's a phenomenal goalie. Um, I'll take John's word for it on that. He's one of the best in the. Uh, I'll take one of the best in the NHL, and I'll, I'll seriously take his word for it on that. But coming you know, from the chief Igor slanderer on the WRSU staff, yes, yes, that's true. But but it, you, know, it was you got like, to be got to be honest at some point. He's definitely definitely earned his keep. He's and, a lock um, for the Vesna. He's he's top three in MVP, um, which brings us. Yeah, I mean Igor's just, he's top. Th- Igor's like, is a top three goalie right now, and Andre Vasilevsky is right behind him at two. But we have the Stanley Cup coming up. It's the this is what happens. Remember that old movie, the, the old superhero movie. I don't know if you guys heard of it called Dark Knight. Christian Bale, Heath Ledger. There's a quote that the Joker says. He goes, "This is what happens when an unstoppable force force meets an immovable object." Colorado has one of the most potent offenses. Uh, offensives. I'm sorry, I can't speak today. Uh, in in hockey, and Tampa Bay is probably the best all-round team in hockey in just the, they're they're so quick they they can they're going for a three-peat right 100 percent. yeah they are they're, they're, wow. the, they're the uh only the second team the, the last team to do it were the islanders they won four in a row in the 80s and it only happened twice the canadians did it in the 50s and the islanders did it in the 80s so this will only be the third time in uh in hockey history that they'll have three cups in a row hopefully they lose in four because I can't stand that team, but that's okay. Uh, what was it saying? Yeah, it's just it's gonna be a good series. Uh, a lot of good se- playoff hockey is always entertaining, but especially with this matchup, because Tampa Bay is probably the best team in hockey all around, and Colorado. Uh, you could th- th- obviously they have one of the most best goals, th- go- uh, best lines in hockey in McKinnon. Uh, you know who's who's I think underrated. Like you don't hear his name a lot over the uh, you know around the league, but. We'll see what happens. It's going to be a good series. I think it'll be a very good matchup between uh, Colorado and Evan Vasilevsky and see how Andre, you know, reacts. Completely agree. I mean, it's going to be – I think it's going to be a good series either way as well. Um, you know, you said it with the with the quote, um, when an unstoppable force means an immovable object. Um, I think <clears> – I think it will really come down to, like, what – what it usually comes down to, which is goal scoring, mm-hmm. or not goal scoring, goalkeeping. So Vasilevsky is one of the best goalies in the entire NHL. Tampa Bay has been there; they've done it. They've won two in a row um, already. They're going for a three-peat. I think the experience will really help them at least early on in the series because not a lot, lot, or the Colorado Avalanche. They don't have a lot of guys who've been there, right? Uh, I I'm not sure. I don't really, I don't follow the Western teams, but I don't. They the last time they went to the Cup, I. Pretty sure they lost in 17 against Montreal, I believe. I can fact check that, but they did lose recently. Well, I guess, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that Tampa Bay Lightning have as much experience on this big stage as you could possibly have at this point. I, I assume they kept their same core together mm. um, over these not last three years in their title run. So, you know, they'll have that working for them. Colorado has the home home court home home ice. Sorry, I went from home field to home court to home ice. Home all three the trifecta home ice advantage, right? Yeah. Okay, so that'll help them in the first aspect of the game, but or the series. But you know, 
should be good. I'm actually going to make an effort to watch these Stanley Cup finals. I think, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how, you know, this plays out. And, you know, should be good. With the, uh, you know, obviously I'm going to, with the, even though I'm not a big basketball guy, I'm probably going to watch the, the last few games of the NBA finals just, just to see what happens because I am gen- generally curious now to see if, um, what happens in the last two, if there is a game seven. And we need if, the pool party to take home finals MVP. Oh, my God. I don't think John would hear the end I, of it. I, I got it. You know what? If if there's a pool party, John wouldn't let, hear the end of it, or you wouldn't let John hear the end of it. Probably both. <laughs> I'll probably, uh, but I um, I'll tell you what. If there is a, if his name is Jordan P- Poole, right? Poole. Not to be confused. P o o l e. Not to be confused with Jordan Peele, very funny comedian. Um, I'll tell you what. If Jordan Peele has a great game, I'll buy a pool jersey and I'll wear it Jordan at work. Pool jersey. And people are like, what, John? Why are you wearing a basketball jersey? This is my work shirt. <laughs> Well, Jordan Poole is probably not going to win Finals MVP unless he scores like 100 points, matches Will Chamberlain in Game 6. But it uh, um, would be funny nonetheless to see John in the Jordan yeah. Poole jersey and see Steph Curry <laughs> cheated out of a Finals MVP, uh, as Brett and I were just talking about. But uh, That would uh, that would be finally a bet that John actually loses or wins or however you want to call that. Yeah, because my um, – so for so for a little context, the last few games – for game five, before game five of uh, the Rangers-Lightning series, I mentioned to Jack, I was like, Jack, the chief chief of the Igor Slander Council, if <laughs> Igor gets a shutout in game five, because the Rangers up, to this, up until this point were undefeated in the garden, I will sh- cut my hair, my beautiful flowing locks, my COVID hair that I haven't cut in two years. Uh, I've got it trimmed, don't worry. My mom hates it. So I was going to get my hair cut. Go to New York, find the best wig maker in Manhattan, get a wig made from my hair, and make Jack wear it for a month. Now, obviously, the Rangers... A little impractical Jokers deal there, huh? 100%. It was... I may have drawn from inspiration from the Jokers. I Unfortunately, <laughs> the Rangers just were outmatched in Game 5. They just they weren't there. They missed way too many opportunities. Ryan choked Strom because he just can't find an open net. Uh, they, they lost Game Five. I reopened the invitation to Game Six. They lost the series. I was very upset. Also, oh my, that just to going back to how, you know, the, how quote the t- my microphone keeps falling down. Sorry. Um, going back to the Rangers being tired. They did play twenty seven, seven and six. What is that? It's fourteen. Yeah, they played twenty games in the span of a month. Excuses. Hey man. Okay, hockey's all around the hardest sport. <laughs> And you can't. Okay, whatever. But here's here's the deal. It, to summarize, just because I'll I'm gonna keep rambling about the Rangers for until there's no one here. Uh, it was a very good year for the Rangers. We did not have this. Obviously, if you told me in October the Rangers would have lost in six to the back-to-back Stanley Cup champs in the conference finals, I would have easily taken that. But um, we we didn't really have a lot of expectations this year. They, uh, you know, maybe we could stick it to a wild card spot, but Next year, we have some expectations. We want to. This is a, this is a very good run, but I want to, you know, let's let's make it to the dance next year. You know what I'm saying? Now, John, forgive me because um, I don't follow hockey as closely as you know the NBA and NFL. Sure. But the Avalanche and the Lightning was this a Stanley Cup Finals that was plausible when we started these playoffs a couple months ago? Oh, sure. Um, let me just. I have to look, pull up the whole bracket. Were okay, I wouldn't say they're not. Is it plausible because it probably is, but um, is it 
is it a surprise to see both these teams in the Stanley Cup Finals? Like, was there a favorite, you know, outside of the Lightning in the East? Or, you know, I think the Avalanche have been, like, the best team in the NHL basically, like, all year, right? I'm pretty sure the Avalanche won the – no, I think uh, the Panthers won the President's Trophy for the best record. But I think Colorado was right behind them. So it, it also uh, – let me just – to answer your question, no, it's not really a big surprise. Uh, Colorado is definitely the favorite to win the West. The only – let me think. The only like obstacle in their way could have been either Calgary or Edmonton, and the Battle of Alberta was way too short in five games, and Colorado just dismantled Edmonton. So I don't think it was a big surprise to see Colorado win the West. Uh, for the East, it could have been a toss-up because the Rangers were supposed to. The, the, it was supposed to be the Hurricanes' year this year. We all know how that ended up. And then that brings us to in a hurricane. <laughs> very good. Uh, they got storm surged, if you will. They got caught up in the waves, <laughs> uh, which was always scary. I always hated the storm surge. That was always my scary. Like, anyway, uh, sorry. And that brings us to the Panthers, the Leafs, and the Lightning. We probably have, we probably have like a three-way. Like if one of those teams broke, if the Leafs actually made it out of the first round, you know, somehow, uh, just to lose to the Panthers, probably. But yeah, it was probably going to come down to either Florida, Tampa Bay, or. Yeah, Florida or Tampa Bay against Colorado because the Leafs were not going to make it out of the first round again. Even though they didn't really choke, they just lost. But No, it's, to your answer to question, it's not really a big shock. If you said Colorado and the Panthers, that would probably be like the best way to draw it up. All right, I can see that. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, yeah, Like I said, I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited for the Stanley Cup Finals. I think it'll be a good opportunity to see you know, what hockey is like on the highest, on the, you know, highest stage. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, John, I don't, forgive me if I forgot, but do you have any predictions for these, these, uh, uh finals? Going back to my lock of the week, I think it was maybe two or three weeks before. It was right, I think we're in the middle of the first round of the, the bracket. And I was here with, with, uh, I was on crew with Gideon, uh, Derek, and I believe Dylan Allen. And I, my Stanley Cup, matchup was Calgary and Florida that was that did not work out well at all I don't think so considering <laughs> Colorado and Tampa Bay are in Stanley Cup very good Jack very good you look, you look very good for uh very good very good so I don't know man um I'm gonna go with Colorado and six but then you're playing playoff you're playing against Stanley Cup back-to-back Vasilevsky who has who's like on who's impossible to beat in the postseason I'm it's, this is a tough one. I'm probably I'm gonna go Yeah, I'm gonna go Colorado in seven. Just because they're so they're so they they don't have they're just so deep. Their their offensives their Nathan McKinnon can their his stick handling is so good. Uh they can come at you from so many different angles. They move the puck around great. Tampa Bay does have very good defense and one of the best goalies in hockey in Vasilevsky and their offenses, even though they do have uh they lost Braden Point. They're their their top line with um, Stamkos, Kucherov, and uh, I'm so sorry, I can't. I'm blanking on the third guy. I can't like imagine the the Lightning roster at this at this time. But I'm gonna go Colorado in seven. So by and large, you're feeling a uh, an exciting two weeks or so for hockey fans coming up. Hundred percent. Stanley, Stanley Cup's always a thrill. Uh, very. Um, yeah, you know it's the highest point in the year. I think it's the coolest trophy in sports. I know it's a. That might be a hot take. But I think the Stanley Cup is the... No, I'll, I'll give you that. You know, better... I mean, you know, baseball, you know, 
even the commissioner says it's just a piece of metal. I, I will give you the Stanley Cup is is iconic. I mean, you know, how many years, you know, you stay on your name on the trophy after you win it. It's mm-hmm. you know, you know, you know, how many guys are spelled wrong. Oh yeah, that that's hilarious. Oh, I love that. Gives us some character. I also love that every player gets to uh, to take the cup home for a day. <laughs> and Imagine apparently, this- a couple years years back. I believe it was Patrick Eliash actually dropped it and dented it halfway through his uh, his day with it. <laughs> I love I love stuff like that. I I mean, a hundred percent. The cup is is definitely the um the coolest trophy in sports. I would probably rank it with like the cup being at first, the commission, the World Series trophy being at second, the Lombardi trophy being at third, and an unfor- I'm sorry, Jack, but the NBA trophy is probably fourth. Hey, it's iconic, though. I know you could say that for every single yeah. uh, sport, but... I, I do like the MLB trophy. It's got all the flags on it and all that stuff. Mm. And again, you know, Jack is saying the uh, the NBA trophy is, is iconic. I, I'd say the Lombardi trophy is also pretty iconic in its own right. That's fair. But I don't know if it's... I don't know if... It, I think we've all established the cup is definitely the uh Okay, and the also, coolest. I mean, the other thing the Stanley Cup's got going for it is it's not like... You know, they make a new Lombardi trophy every year. They make a new commissioner's trophy every year. Mm. It's the same Stanley Cup year after year since, what, like the 50s? Yeah, I think there's three of them. There's the the first one, which is in a museum. I believe it's in Montreal or Toronto. And there's a, uh, like the travel cup. Like, oh, there's the cup. And then the actual cup, which is now is, I think it's still in Tampa Bay. Because I'm pretty sure whoever won it last keeps it. And obviously, you know, Tampa Bay's had it since uh, last year. Or since two years ago, because they won back-to-back. But, um, yeah, yeah it's going to be a good matchup. Colorado, Tampa Bay, probably a lot of... Uh, <laughs> I think, you know, um, like during the World Series, the or during the NLCS last year, like all the like MLB was posting all the Dodgers, like, oh, let's go Dodgers, because Major League Baseball loves uh, riding the Dodgers. But this year, like, the, keep, the hockey keeps... Um, NHL like Instagram page keeps posting about the Lightning. Even all the comments, like, dude, nobody wants the Lightning to win again. <laughs> like their fan base is everywhere except Southern Florida. <laughs> By the way, this is interesting. Apparently, at least if Wikipedia is to be believed, every winning team has the right to get its name and year engraved on on the cup at its own expense. I would have thought that the league would do that, but uh, apparently at not. their own expense. That. You gotta pay for it? What? Each winning team at its own expense may have the club name and year engraved on a silver ring fitted on the cup. That's the Cup shall remain a challenge cup and should not be become the property of one team, even if it's Igor's fault. <laughs> How is it? I don't. I'm, also, not, I'm not gonna buy I love that the Wikipedia page for the Stanley Cup says the Stanley Cup and in parentheses French, Le Cup Stanley. <laughs> yeah, it's Lord Stanley, man. I can't believe you have to pay for that. That's like getting your car stolen and then you having to... Actually, that happens. Never mind. My mom's car got stolen. Um, I'm going to blow past that, but that's crazy. You have to pay for it to get your... Um, that's insane. I just yeah, assume there'd be a, a league... Jokes, like jokes a league aside, feed. that is insane because you won the Stanley Cup. You've gotten this far. Like, your... Excuse me. Your name is etched in, in history. Why would you have to pay for it at your own expense? Like, is the NHL really, like, yeah. that broke? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, uh, I'm i reading the actual Wikipedia page as opposed to the highlight. That was the old Stanley Cup. My mistake. My mistake. That's still weird. Like, the even, like, original, in the 80s. 
because apparently originally that was one of Lord Stanley's original conditions. That's what it, that's what the article says. That's still dumb. Now now it's now it's automatic. Okay, that makes more sense. I do think hockey's hockey's got to be the the least uh, I guess funded big four for uh, sports of the big four. I'm sure football and basketball are the, are the top two, right? Sorry, say that again. I'm pretty sure uh, hockey is like the, I guess least funded sport out of all the big four. I don't know about funded, but I think I would I would I would beg to say it's probably the least watched out of all four. The NFL's, oh, the NFL's king. Yeah. No one's debating that. Hundred percent. I would say the NBA is probably second. Baseball's third. Hockey four. Yeah, I think I it, it really put me in. You know what really put it into context is uh, when I went to Game One in the conference finals. Uh, Madison Square Garden sold out, you know, Rangers against Lightning, and they they flashed thing. Oh yeah, this is the, uh, you know, whatever, like a couple th- thousandth time that the Garden's been sold out, and they flashed the number. It was eighteen thousand and three people. I don't know why they had three people. I right? just build like a big ninety-seven more seats. But I was like, really, only eighteen thousand? And then it, I kind of like got me thinking. When I go yeah, to City so Field, like baseball stadiums hold that. like forty thousand. The listed capacity for Game Six, which according to this was sold out as well, is nineteen thousand ninety-two. Yeah, that's crazy. That's in Tampa Bay. That's in Tampa Bay. Yes. Yeah, that's that's insane. I think I think Mon- uh, De- Montreal definitely has the most. <coughs> I think it's like close to thirty, but it's just crazy how like uh. There are, there are. American college basketball arenas that hold more people than that. Yeah, that's 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 insane to me because hockey is a. I guess it's more of a Canadian sport. Actually, it, it definitely is a Canadian. It's more of a Canadian. Uh, um, the Canadians' arena capacity is twenty one three oh two. Hmm, that's not. That's still not as much as I thought it would be. They do have the most, I believe. But yeah, hockey's fun. I think like it's definitely underrated. It's a uh, very quick. It's perfect like yin and yang to baseball because I'm big, obviously a big baseball guy. Mets, are doing, Mets, are, Mets and the Yankees are, are running baseball. New York runs baseball right now. We'll get so to that later on. They're doing, hey, I don't think that – I know it's it's still June, but the Mets have a very uh, very big schedule coming up. I, they've been playing well. They've been holding, holding their weight, treading water for Scherzer and Jay to come back. We'll see what happens. But the Yanks are just unbeatable right now. Uh, what was my point to all this? What did I say before? How did I get here? How did I get here? I don't know, but that's – New York's good... running baseball. Yes. Where – which which is true, I, I mean the Yankees are forty four and sixteen, they're they're insane. Well, and and the Mets at forty and twenty two, have been pitching relatively, have been playing relatively well. Excuse me, in the absence of their starters, Max Scherzer and Jacob Degrom, but Chris Bassett needs to step it up. Well, he, on, his, his his ERA has been atrocious. On that note, we will save the baseball conversation.